We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed the reality is that when negotiating a deal in major league soccer it often seems that a player is better off jumping on a plane flying to an international destination juggling the ball a few times in the airport terminal and then coming back i've even benefited from this phenomenon in the past but in order to truly be a quote league of choice existing or young players starting out their careers they need to be incentivized to choose to stay. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the, the valuation of MLS players in 2019. We'll have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. He's going to talk a little bit about VAR in the Champions League. We'll be answering your questions in our hashtag Ask Alexi segment, including some Weston McKinney talk and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mossy? I am good. I am entertaining the parents this week. They are oh visiting my. from New York. They're in town. Yep. Uh, are they giving you any uh, time alone at all, or is this 24-7? 24-7. Oh. Uh, my mother, though, very pleasantly surprised by my appearance because, really? as I've mentioned to you, this camera is very unforgiving. It makes us both look fatter than we are. And so my mother was <laughs> expecting a lot worse. So that's how she keeps tabs on you is by watching the uh, the video portion of the Correct. State of the Union. All right. Well, good. It's it's better that way than the other way around. Okay. When she you know has a, a false sense of who you are from watching it, and then she sees you in real life and is dismayed. Uh, that's good. Did you? You're not a, uh, a Grammy Awards uh, watcher or anything like that, are you? No, I did not. Watch I watched it last night with uh, with my kids. We even did a pool. I, I grew up watching the the Grammy Awards. Now. Uh, I, it is not a show that is catered to me in any sense, but I always like to check it out and see if there's somebody that jumps out. So I like this. Um, uh, what's the what's the name of uh, the, the three letter? Is it her? Is that is that her name? H E R with a period in between. I really liked her. Her. She was really really good. Monet, Janelle Monet, is that her name? Yeah, okay. I, I really liked her too. Do you right. know, have you ever heard of these uh, people? Luis Aguilar, quite the music expert. He's the one giving you thumbs up on, on these it, pronunciations. It, it was good. There was no rock to be found, but that's nothing new. Rock is uh, a, a niche type of thing uh, now. But it was it was interesting to see the amount of lip syncing going. Well, it's not. it was not interesting because we know that that goes on constantly. I was trying to think, what's the... What's the, the sports form of lip syncing? Would that be performance enhancing drugs or something like that? I mean, because they don't tell you that the person is lip syncing and I guess nobody cares at this point. 
Do you care if your artist that you're watching is lip syncing? Should you be made aware that the artist is lip syncing? Yeah, I think there's really? something. Yeah. And by the way, when you look at who they let in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, oh. rock and roll seems to have become an umbrella term for all popular music. Are you okay with Don't that? Don't get me started on this, Mossy. All right. <laughs> we, we'll go down a rabbit hole here and we will not talk at all about soccer. And that's not why the people tune in here. They tune in to hear us talk about soccer. And we got a whole bunch of soccer to talk about this show. All right. Should we light this candle? Yep. All right. As you know, each and every week, we kick off the pod with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Oh, yes. It's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. Major League Soccer has a problem. Maybe. MLS aspires to be a, quote, league of choice. But it's becoming harder for players to choose to stay or to start their career in Major League Soccer when they see their value often being diminished by the mere act of staying. The reality is that when negotiating a deal in Major League Soccer, it often seems that a player is better off jumping on a plane, flying to an international destination, juggling the ball a few times in the airport terminal, and then coming back. Because that player, in the eyes of MLS, is often now seen as better, simply for having made the trip. And that's reflected when he returns with a higher value, price tag, and perception than when he left. Now, life isn't fair and soccer isn't fair. You're worth what the market will pay. A player's pedigree, history, and resume will always be part of the valuation. And a player's value isn't only based on how he or she kicks the ball. I've even benefited from this phenomenon in the past. There were domestic American players who didn't have the international opportunities I had, but were equally or more talented. However, they were often valued at a fraction of my worth. But in order to truly be a, quote, league of choice, Existing or young players starting out their careers, they need to be incentivized to choose to stay. But every dollar you pay existing talent is a dollar you don't spend on incoming talent. And the not-so-dirty secret? Imported talent sells. Imported talent is perceived as being better. That international and cosmopolitan resume is sexier. It's cooler and it's coveted by a league looking to increase relevancy and attention globally and in their markets. Major League Soccer has a problem, or maybe it doesn't. All right, Mossy, is this a problem for Major League Soccer, or is this, this simply a problem for young domestic talent? It's a very interesting issue you raise. MLS is at a real inflection point here, entering its 24th season in terms of figuring out what it wants to be. We hear these terms, league of choice, mm-hmm. feeder league, selling league, and we're all trying to make sense of uh, what it means. But you're right. If an American who's playing and doing well in Europe decides to come back to MLS, in theory, that fits the league of choice mantra. But if that prompts young Americans to look at how much money that player got because he has the cachet of being somebody that was lured back from Europe, and that causes them to think, even if I'm going to end up in MLS, I'm better off going to Europe first, that could have, I suppose, a detrimental effect on the league. Or, or maybe not, but it is at least an issue to, to discuss. Well, we've talked about this before in that while MLS will talk about its responsibility to the domestic player, and when I say the domestic player, it's not just the domestic player. Uh, sometimes we'll talk about U.S. men's national team eligible players. But in this case, it's, it's, it's all young players and certainly players that are starting out, whether they are eligible for the U.S. men's national team or not. MLS will talk about their commitment, and, they'll, and, and rightfully they will point to the millions of dollars that are being spent on development and uh, academies and all that. I've argued in the past that 
it shouldn't be MLS's job to help the national team, and they should run their business how they see fit. And if they believe, either collectively as a league or individually in each market, that having international talent and having that cachet and that sexy part resume come in is the best way forward on the field for the product that they are selling, and in terms of selling that product to people and what they want to buy, then they, they should have edit. The other part of this, and we've talked about this over the last couple of episodes, is that it's one thing having players go overseas. And that's always going to be there because we live in a global economy. We live in a global market. We are competing with leagues around the world. It's another thing when you don't share in the business of that. And so when players aren't in an academy program and aren't signed as players for Major League Soccer, like a Tyler Adams, that then you share when the, when the, uh, when the player is transferred and goes overseas and they bypass it and go directly. You're not sharing uh, in, in any of that right now. But the fact is that if you are a young player, for example, let's my son right now, if my son right now was offered whatever number you want to give that there is a minimal amount of money for to play and to stay. Let's say he's in a development academy for a major league soccer team and they want to sign him and they offer him a, a, a little bit of money. And somebody overseas uh, in a different league offers him a little bit more. You're going to have to make up that you're going to have to in terms of money because Staying home, that's all fine and well. But at some point, you are going to have to compete. And you're going to have to, in some cases, overpay than what you may feel the market will bear out there in order to keep them home. And that's incentivizing young talent to stay here. You want it to be a league of choice. You can't just rely on the fact that they are, in many cases, growing up in the United States. You can't just rely on that patriotic nationalist type of feel or even rely on the fact that they just want to play in their home or their, their hometown you for in many cases you have to pay and in many cases you have to overpay for that and that's something that MLS at certain points is not willing to do and you're going to lose players and if if my son came to me and said look I have this opportunity in a Bundesliga team or an EPL team or even a Liga team to go over there and they're going to pay me and it might be a little bit more Maybe even it might be a little, a little less. Who knows? It's hard for me to say, no, don't do that, when I know that his value simply by doing that is going to increase. So if in this moment you can get X and then you go over and you might, the reality is we only hear about the, the, the success stories. You might not star over there. You might play a little bit or anything like that. But once again, that's on your resume right now. So you could have gotten X at this point. Now, a year or two later, you come back and you've doubled that or tripled that simply by going over to Europe. Is, is that a good thing? You're going to have to pay at some point to keep them home to make it a league of choice. It's funny. We talked about this this weekend. When MLS launched in 1996, a lot of you were playing in Europe and you were lured back because you felt a certain sense of obligation to help start this league on the right foot. Uh, MLS is established enough now that I don't think that enters players' minds. Americans that are playing in Europe, when they get an offer in MLS, they don't feel any sense of obligation no. to come back and help boost the league. And it's that's good. That's, that's a sign of progress. Right. It's actually the other way, frankly. They get dinged sometimes for having a perceived lack of ambition. I mean, Michael Bradley, sure. Clint Dempsey. So MLS, I Landon feel, Donovan. Yeah, they feel like they have to overpay for those guys because you're convincing them to take what theoretically is a step back in their career. I mean, how do you sort of view that whole dynamic? The MLS was not a league of choice for Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore because they wanted to bolster MLS. MLS was a league of choice because Tim Laiwiki at the time not only paid them, but completely overpaid. 
for them because there was no way they were going to get that type of money anywhere else in the world. And had they gotten uh, that type of money or more money, then maybe they would have gone to that place. And that doesn't mean that Michael Bradley or Josie Altidore don't love Major League Soccer or want to help soccer in, in North America, but they were incentivized to come back because they paid them a boatload of money. And from an, from an early age, we have to recognize that, look, a lot of this money also, when, when, you, when you look at the money that's being spent in terms of the TAM money, that's being spent and where it is directed, as I said before, it's not always about this player is a six on a scale of one to 10. Uh, and this player is also a six on the one, uh, on scale of one to 10. But this player has a resume that he played at this place overseas and th with this club and stuff like that. You are going to, that is, that generates, and this is just the, 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 the reality of, of business in the United States and business around the world, because this is happening, by the way, in England, this is happening to a certain extent uh, in Germany. We talked about it on our Bundesliga coverage. You are going to have to recognize that that is going to be more attractive to your customer, even though the player might be exactly, and that's what I think is infuriating times to young players out there when they say, and they look at a player and say, look, if you're paying this type of money to this player, he better be a whole lot better than I am. And yet they look around and they say, you paid all this money for this player because he had that sexy resume. He comes in and I'm a better player. And you're not even willing to give me even close to that amount of money. Now, how much can Greg Berhalter boost the perceived value of players in MLS? If he were to call up uh, young Americans in MLS who have never stepped foot in Europe and they were to do well for the national team, could that maybe alter this dynamic? So, so I, I, you know, I mentioned in my State of the Union that I benefited from this in the past. Look, I, I benefited from, number one, playing with the national team. And that is something that gives you an incredible cachet playing for the national team, regardless of where you're playing club. And certainly if you're playing in Major League Soccer. But I played in a World Cup. I parlayed that into playing over in Europe. And then I certainly benefited in terms of uh, the contract that I got by coming back to Major League Soccer. If, you know, for example, and I, I said that there are players out there that, that might have been as good and maybe even better than me at times. Uh, a wonderful center back by the name of Robin Frazier, who didn't have the opportunities internationally that I had in terms of playing on the national team in World Cups in terms of that resume going over overseas. You could certainly make an argument that Robert Frazier was much better th better than me. But once again, there was that back and forth, and I had that resume, I had that experience, and that, that sexiness was attached to it. And that's, that's, that's life to a certain extent. And I don't think that's always going to change. But if you position yourself, as MLS does, as that league of choice, either you live up to it and it's the league of choice for everybody, or you say it's a league of choice, but it's a league of choice for people that are outside coming into the league, and that is their choice to go to. And I think right now it's interesting to see what MLS is going to be going forward. Yeah, I've also heard the term League of Choice used in terms of foreign signings to rebut the whole retirement league thing. In other words, we don't want aging foreign stars who have been more or less discarded in Europe, and that's the only reason they're coming to MLS. We want to sign players that could, if they wanted to, still be playing at a high level in Europe, but have chosen to come to MLS. And so that's where you see kind of MLS boasting about the average age of DP foreign signings going down. And I think they have made progress in that regard. So that's another aspect of this whole League of Choice mantra. But, you know, the, the, this whole phenomenon of international talent and imported talent being much more attractive from a business perspective. It's not just Major League Soccer that faces this. We look at the EPL uh, and what they have created over there as being this destination league of the best players in the, in the world, even to the detriment at times of young English talent that we are seeing. And yet the other thing is happening also in Germany where they're importing a lot of 
French young talent. Uh, obviously, we've seen the, uh, the English young talent has come in. And yes, they're even importing American untalented. And maybe it works in a different way when a young German player looks and sees, I don't know, Weston McKinney, who, by the way, we're going to talk about later in the podcast. He might look at Weston McKinney and say, I can do what he's doing and I can do it better. Why is this guy getting the opportunities that I'm not being able to give? So it's not just a a North American or, or in our case, an American perspective or a phenomenon that's happening when it comes to people want international talent. That's what they want to buy. That's what they want to see. All right, listen, let us know what you think about it. We may be right. We may be wrong. Uh, according to you, let us know uh, if you agree or, or disagree. It'll be very interesting going forward to see what MLS becomes. The talent that they target, this incredible young uh, domestic talent that we have developed and we recognize exists and do they tap into it or do we continue to lose talent that look at MLS and say, while I'd like to stay here, you have to make it worth my while and the attraction and the mining that continues to happen from all these other leagues over to the U.S. saying, yeah, you guys don't rate him or you rate him at a much lower value than we do. Fine. We are going to value them at a much higher rate. We're going to give them opportunities. And once again, you're going to uh, miss out on that if they are not part uh, in terms of signing like a Tyler Adams or if they're bypassing it like a Josh Sargent or a Christian Pulisic or a Weston McKinney. And then you don't even participate in a, a transfer fee going forward. But at some point they're going to have to, if they're going to be that league of choice, pay and at times even overpaid to say, yes, we are valuing you. We want you to stay here and make this your league of choice. All right, moving on. Hello, people. Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I wanted to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out, Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. And the best part? It's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now, back to the show. Mossy makes the case. All right, time for Mossy makes the case. That moment of the show when uh, my friend David Mossy gets something off his chest. What do you got this week? My case is that VAR is only as good as the competence of the people running it. The UEFA Champions League returns this week with a new wrinkle, the introduction of VAR, which amazingly enough is still a source of contention in some quarters. Uh, One country not complaining is Germany because they have got it down to a science. We cover the Bundesliga, and through 21 rounds, there have been remarkably few VAR controversies this season. You saw again this weekend, early in the Dortmund-Hoffenheim game, Dortmund scored a freak goal in which a Hoffenheim defender cleared a ball off Jaden Sancho and into the back of the net. But upon further review, there was another Dortmund player in an offsides position interfering with the play. The goal should have been waved off. It was waved off, and the whole thing was sorted very quickly without disrupting the flow of the game. That's how it's supposed to work. Then you move over to La Liga, which I've always said has the best players in the world but the worst referees, and they've had all sorts of issues with VAR this season, as evidenced by that Atletico Madrid-Real Madrid game this weekend. We can get into those specific plays in a minute. But the funny thing is, all the conversation in Spain is about the concept of VAR rather than the execution. 
And again, there are always going to be bang-bang plays that two people can look at 10 times and still disagree. VAR is not going to resolve that. VAR is there to correct obvious mistakes, Maradona, hand of God type incidents that reduce a match to a farce. And when it's applied properly, it does that, and it does so in a timely fashion. So I'm glad we have it in the Champions League. It's a step forward in the game. I just hope we get the German version and not the Spanish version. So you're saying that the Germans are incredibly structured and organized in the way that they are implementing VAR at the risk of stereotyping uh, <laughs> that uh, that should come as a surprise uh, to no one they and, and you're absolutely right having covered the way that they are doing it in the Bundesliga it is it's wonderful. And it's not just wonderful in terms of the, the, the getting the calls right. As you mentioned, the way that they televise it, the information that they're giving in stadium, the information that they're giving from a television perspective, you're, you're, you're absolutely right that they have. Now, you mentioned that the debate in Spain isn't whether they're getting it right. It's just the overall concept of having it as part of the game. That's still a debate going on? Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah, which I find amazing. Like so, so it's much more from a cultural perspective. I just don't like my soccer to have it. I recognize that it's right. getting the call right, right, but it goes back to that whole the the beautiful gray areas and subjectivity of our game is something that they don't want lost. Yeah, it's interesting. Wafa last week held a meeting in Frankfurt in which they invited the managers of the 16 teams still in the Champions League, and only five of the 16 showed up. The other teams sent staff members or even. Uh, marketing employees in some cases. And Alexander Seferin, the president of UEFA, was very annoyed at that. He said it was a lack of respect. And those teams that didn't send their managers don't have a right to complain. Now, most of those managers that didn't show up are on record as saying they're in favor of VAR. But one guy that's still bullishly against it, he will not get off this anti-VAR corner, is Mauricio Pochettino, whose Tottenham team played Dortmund this week. So there are still, believe it or not, some managers out there that are against it and some people in the game that aren't completely sold on it. So it, it's still an issue that's being bandied about. I, I actually, I respect it more if it's the, the Spanish argument in that nobody's arguing whether they get it right, but it's much more of a philosophical type of argument. Like that, I, that I can get my, my mind around much more so than, than the other one. But that it, that it takes up time or anything like that. We, 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 we play a game where people roll around for hours on the ground faking injuries. So the time aspect of it, that's ridiculous to me. Now, what do you think? Because I think if a call is too close, you know, you look at the replay several times and, oh, it's hard to make up your mind one way or the other, then the NFL principle should apply, that you stick with the original call in the field. But the issue I'm finding is that people are inserting their biases into plays and trying to invent debate where there isn't one. We experienced that this weekend. Keith Costigan tried to convince us that Liverpool's <laughs> first goal against Bournemouth this weekend wasn't offside right. when Sadio Mane clearly was. And a legendary I, I, Liverpool fan, Keith Yeah, Costigan, Keith, yes. Keith's been watching True Detective too much because he, he came up with all these conspiracy theories that <laughs> photos had been doctored to make right. it look like and, and I mean and to me uh, to, just to go back to the Atletico Madrid Real Madrid game that f- Atletico goal I thought was clearly a foul on Vinicius Jr. You look at the replay not only it wasn't just a shoulder to shoulder the guy also kicked him and to me if you're not going to overturn those if you're going to act like there's more of a debate than there is around every play then then that's where you're going to get yourself in trouble. Yeah but but I like the fact with VAR that you know the Vinicius one or anything like that we can disagree with it but I like the fact that at some point a human being other than the person that was on the field looked at it and said no okay because in the past it's always been about one human being that one human being and yes they have help from the ARs and, and all that but the, the reality is that one human being making a judgment in a split second without any help of technology and saying yes no whatever 
Now, even though we might agree with the ultimate call that is made, and it might be because of bias or it might be because we truly think that they got it wrong, at least they're getting it wrong with multiple human beings being involved and technology being involved. And I, th I think that's a good thing. But you mentioned Keith Costigan. Each and every time, because EPL doesn't have VAR, each and every time something happens, I, I tweeted him VAR. I tweet every single time. <laughs> and that, because that's the first thought now that a global audience is saying, right. well, they don't have VAR. And that really doesn't count. So everything is with an asterisk. To Keith's credit, he admitted uh, the Liverpool goal against West Ham uh, should have been offsides on James Miller. <laughs> if he hadn't admitted that, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't speak to him anymore. Uh, but as you know from being on the text, this, I, if we can shift gears, or do you yeah, stay on sure. VAR? Well, I just want to ask you one question because uh, you mentioned it. So it, it's being implemented starting this week. Is that what you said? Correct. Now, it's being implemented in a, 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 is it being implemented in any different way in that is it impl implemented in the FIFA way that we saw uh, with the World Cup or is it being implemented where they're mirroring a, a certain league or? Uh, different from the World Cup in that there was like a central VAR right. place where all those decisions were made. In this case, each stadium is going to have site. its own. Like yeah, MLS so, does it. Okay, yeah, that's, so, that, that's what MLS does. Um, right. But as you know from being in the text messages that were flying around, I almost did my Mossy makes the case on the away goals scenario because there are a lot of reports that UEFA are considering scrapping the away goals rule. So uh, I'll just say I, I didn't do it this week because Seferin walked it back a little bit. So let's wait and see if this actually gains any traction. And also, frankly, because I couldn't make up my mind which way to go. I read articles from smart people on both sides of that debate. So we can talk about it at some later date. But I mean, just well, do you have any any strong all feeling? All I will that? say is that if and <laughs> when this changes, and I hope that it does, not because I am on one side or the other, because I don't want to have to explain it to anybody ever <laughs> again. It is the I tried to explain it to my children at one point, and it was it, it was more difficult than you know explaining math problems. Uh, or it's actually it, it what it did was sometimes when my kids because there's a new way of doing math right now when they try to explain the way that they are doing math to me that's that's really what it what what it was because it is a very difficult concept to just explain in principle and how and how it works. Now to look at it from a, a player's perspective and the mentality that said, I, I think the general consensus uh, uh, reading these articles was that if it goes away, there will be more uh, extra time extra, and penalties. And penalties, yeah. right? That's, right. And why is that, though? I don't understand. What's the reason? Because uh, right now for a tie to go to extra time, it has to be the same exact score in reverse. And if you scrap the way goals, and it just has to be the same margin of victory. So one team wins uh, one leg one nil, the other wins the second leg four three. We go to extra time, so it does uh, the away goals rule does reduce the chance of a tie going extra time. So there's a even just a health issue there if you feel like players play too much and let's not do anything that's going to uh, you know yeah. put more yeah. I mean I think mileage that, on I those think legs. it was rooted in in good faith and a belief that those the ex the added value to scoring an away goal was going to push teams to attack more and to risk more. I don't think in practice it ever played out necessarily that way. Uh, just to quickly one on this, just to whip through the games this week. Okay. The UEFA Champions League knockout stage gets underway. Uh, on Tuesday, uh, Roma hosts Porto. That's probably the least compelling round of 16 tie. But one point of interest for me, Roma have this 19-year-old kid, Nicolo Zaniolo, who uh, is like the next big thing in Italian football. He's been compared to Francesco Totti. Very fun to watch. So everybody should check him out. And then Manchester United host PSG. I don't think I've ever seen the complexion of a tie change so much from the draw to the actual Amazing. games. First United by sacking Mourinho and the way they've played under Solskjaer, but now you throw in the PSG injuries, and United look like overwhelming favorites in this tie. Uh, no Neymar for both legs, no Cavani uh, for this first game. We'll see about the second leg. No Thomas Mounier, they're excellent right back. So it's going to be this like 
patchwork PSG lineup. Uh, I think Mbappe will probably start at center forward, flanked by Di Maria and Draxler. In the midfield, I think Marquinhos will play as the six with Verratti and Paredes. Of course, no Rabio because they refuse to budge on that, which is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, For those that can't see Mossy right now, he just got really agitated yes, about this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> He's then, all fired up. And we'll see what kind of role Danny Alves plays because, you know, they don't have their regular right back, but Danny Alves has been playing more in the midfield this season, so would he trust him to start a game at right back at his age? You have Buffon in goal, so there are a lot of storylines there. It's a, still a fun tie, but really disappointing for me to not have Neymar, and then you throw in Cavani on top of it. It's just uh, it's, this lineup uh, you'll see this week is not how PSG drew it up at the start of the season. Let's put it that way. Uh, before we go, uh, and we're, I know we're extending this. Well, you got the Wednesday. The we got the Wednesday. Oh, was more still, Wednesday. So, yeah. oh, more, okay, oh, okay. You want to go okay. for the Wednesday, and then I'll, I'll. So then Wednesday, you've got Tottenham hosting Dortmund at Wembley. Ooh. Injury is a big theme there. Looks like Marco Royce out for Dortmund. We'll be interested to see if Pulisic starts because he started their last four. Champions League uh, group games. I know he hasn't been playing in the Bundesliga, but this competition he has, so uh, maybe he'll start this game. For Tottenham, Kane and Ali out. Uh, Hongmin Son, who has a great scoring record against Dortmund in his career, is going to lead the attack. And then Ajax host Real Madrid. Ajax back in the knockout stage for the first time since 2006. Amazing young talent, including Frankie de Jong, who has already signed with Barcelona for next season. So him facing Real Madrid is an interesting subplot. And then this defender, Matthias Delight, who everybody loves, who's going to go for a a big number this summer uh, against a Real Madrid team that's flying right now. And that some people are thinking, even without Cristiano Ronaldo, might be peaking at the right time and might be able to embark on one of those classic Real Madrid knockout stage runs of theirs. So... All right, I'm going to save this uh, for our Ask Alexi segment because it's, uh, it has to do with, uh, with coaching. I know we have a question with regards to coaching, so I'm going to push that, push that off. Uh, Turner, thanks you for the incredible promotion that you just well, did. We, get, uh, uh, we get Stu Holden, Steve Nash, and the gang back to <laughs> And maybe Kate Abdo. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Uh, all right, moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for Ask Alexi using that Ask Alexi hashtag uh, with your questions and your comments and concerns. What do the people want to know this week, Mossy? First up, interesting name, this guy, at Bob underscore the boozer. <laughs> uh, what do you think of McKinney playing just about every position on the pitch? Well, I mean, you want him to play. Uh, check that box because he is playing each and every week. Uh, and he is obviously a huge part of what they are doing at Schalke. That he is playing multiple positions, it's, it's interesting because you, you hear coaches talk about the value of having a player who can do that. But... I think it's it's finite. It, it, it at some point I want someone to master a position. So I don't know ultimately what his best position is or what position he is going to play. And I know we look at this oftentimes in terms of the national team. Uh, what where is Weston McKinney going to be best serve the national team? And is it a situation where he's playing a position that he can play it in that he can fake it? But when you get to the international level, when you get down and dirty and qualifying and at a World Cup, I don't want players that are faking a position because more often than not, you will get found out, especially if you're playing for a team like the United States, where uh, you're playing, at, if, you get, if you're lucky enough to get through, you're going to be playing against teams that, uh, that are better than you. It's, a, it's different if you're France and you're Pavard playing right back as opposed to a, a center back. So that's, that's a long way of saying, I like it. It's getting him on the field, but at some point I would like him to master one of those positions so we can say this is who he is. It doesn't mean he won't be valuable and at times be used in other capacities right now, but I also just think it shows what an athlete he is, how smart he is as a soccer player, and also the attitude because sometimes you tell a player 
I need you to play here. And they'll put their head down and whatever. I think he's also in that honeymoon phase where if you if told him to play goal, he would go in goal. He really doesn't care as long as, he's, as long as he's on the field. You get a little older, you get a little more cantankerous. And then when a coach tells you to move to a different position, it sometimes isn't received in the same positive and enthusiastic manner that uh, it seems that Weston McKinney is receiving each and every one of his assignments. All right, what else? At J. Schroeder Art, from a player's perspective, what did you feel was the most important thing to do after a tough loss? Should the coach do film study or get back on the field and train? Well, you don't do anything immediately after because a player mentally is completely shot, whether you win or, or lose. Much of it is just going to go in one year and out the other. So I'm talking about in the in the immediate aftermath. And sometimes coaches just need to get it out, and so they'll scream and yell and throw things and, and do all that. But it has very little effect immediately after the game. And so when you come back, I always wanted to see visually. And I, I, I played at a time where... When I started out where it was video tapes that we were watching, and then it moved into the DVR. And I'll explain it to you kids what, what video tapes are and, and Betamaxes and VCRs and stuff like that. But then we moved into the, the, the DVR phase where you could see things much quicker uh, and much clearer as to what you were doing. And then nowadays they have it right at your disposal when you come in if you are practicing the next day or if you have a day off, whenever you ultimately come in to be able to see it. I always wanted to see what went well, what didn't do well, and then to be able to apply that on the field. And that's up to a coaching staff to, to do that. But I don't think that you should come in immediately and try to uh, fix the problem because I think mentally players check out whether they win or lose and they need time to come back in and recognize, all right, that's over. Let's, uh, let's deal with this. I mentioned that I wanted to, to ask you a coaching question relative to uh, what's happening. Uh, and it's not necessarily, you know, after a tough loss. As a matter of fact, it's completely the opposite. It's winning and keeping on uh, winning. Ole Gunner over there at uh, Manchester United. Can you think of, in, in recent history, a turnaround, the likes of which we are seeing in terms of how successful it has been for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer over there at uh, Manchester United? No, it's remarkable. I mean, obviously Zidane took over Real Madrid in January of 2016 from Rafa Benitez and went on to win the Champions League that season, but that didn't feel like as yeah. much of a mess. And even Bayern Munich you, wasn't, I mean, it's still Bayern Munich and they were, right. it, was, it was that they weren't in first place. It wasn't right. that they were flailing yeah. in the Those middle of the Those situations didn't feel like, like as big a mess as he inherited, and, and this is remarkable. But yeah. the most important question is, and, and so whether you're uh, Jay Schroeder, Schroeder Art or anybody else, I saw everybody has an opinion, do you give him the full-time gig? Not yet. I got to see yet. a little bit more, but it's trending in that direction. It's interesting because the same thing's happening with Solari at Real Madrid, and those two situations keep going that way. Then, then that has major Pochettino yeah, Tottenham has implications, game, right? Yeah, but it, they, they were sort of pressured because there's a rule in Spain where you kind of have yeah, to make a decision one way or the other. N nobody's ever felt like he was truly solid there. Like if, if, if things hadn't gone well the rest of the season, they would have definitely looked for a new manager in the summer without much. And, and uh, the, 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 the calculation that has to be made is, and when you see Ole Gunnar talk now, yes, it's a breath of fresh air because it's so diametrically opposed to what Jose Mourinho was as a, as a, as a person. But the fact is he can afford to do that. Because he's not the head coach yet. And no matter what, he's going he's gonna to come out of this smelling like a rose, even if they go in, in, in a completely different direction. But you have to look and say, would he have done the exact same thing if he was given the head coaching job? And it was all on him, and he had a long-term coaching uh, deal. You know, you sign him for three years or anything like that. Because 
you approach it sometimes differently. Or is he just the same person uh, no matter what? You know what really should happen? Chelsea should go and hire Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now that would be something. We're going to talk about Chelsea. Yeah, we joked uh, about this this weekend. It would be now funny that, if United offered him the permanent job. In that the summer. would be No, fun. I'm going to wait for, for a better would, option. But look, <laughs> these, are, these are the decisions that the, uh, the powers that be have to make when it comes to coaching. Coaching in an interim capacity is very different. And yes, you're trying to put your best foot forward, but you're also you have nothing to lose. And when you have nothing to lose, you do things differently when you do have something to lose. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> All right, All right uh, what's next? Next up, at Sparko Darko. Okay. Uh, what do you think about the LA Galaxy restructuring Gio's contract? All right, so for those that don't know, Giovanni Dos Santos, a uh, enigma, shall we say, when it comes to an undeniable talent, but certainly over the last few years uh, with, the, uh, with the Los Angeles Galaxy. As the Galaxy has struggled within that, Giovanni Dos Santos, Mexican international, as I said, un undeniable talent, has mightily struggled to the, to, to the extent right now that if they could get rid of him, they would, but they are paying him a boatload of money. Obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but I'll, I'll tell you, he is playing on a team that also includes his brother. Uh, by by all accounts, whether you're watching or not, uh, his brother is m doing much more to earn the respect and the paycheck that he is getting than Giovanni Dos Santos is. But you have that whole dynamic of two brothers who like living in the same city, like living in Los Angeles, and like playing on the same team together. Uh, and then you have the fact that the Galaxy has four designated players and in Major League Soccer, you're only allowed to have three. So something has to break. Either they have to trade somebody or they have to restructure. And so what they are potentially going to do is look at Giovanni Dos Santos and say, okay, you, you're scheduled to make this amount of money. We want you to make less money, but we're going to extend the time. So are you just extending the pain? <laughs> because is it a situation where if Giovanni Dos Santos is making less money, it's mu you're much you're much more liable to be able to swallow it than than not. I think the situation right now is that Giovanni Dos Santos, no matter how much he's making, is not somebody right now that the Galaxy want. The problem, as I've said said before, is he's not going to just willingly give up money, and so now you're just extending a and he's not a cancer, but but he, but he's not what you need right now. Especially like, this is a huge year for the Galaxy. They have got to get it right this year, uh, and not go three years in a row without making the playoffs and losing the battle for hearts and minds out there when it comes to in market and uh, around uh, around the league right now. So. If they end up doing that, that's fine. Uh, they can restructure it, but it then means that you have a player you have already recognized is not somebody that you necessarily need or necessarily want, and you're just extending that uh, that time out, albeit at a uh, at a at a um, at a lower fine. I guess it means if you Mossy, if you what would you rather do? Would you rather have on a pain threshold zero uh, being the least, ten being the most? Right, your thumb is hurting. Okay. I can cut off your thumb right now and you will have that moment of 10 pain for a couple of seconds, but then the pain is going to go away. Or for the next five years, you're going to have a nine level of pain. What would you rather do? I think I'd cut off the thumb. You would? Yeah. Interesting. All right. <laughs> Giovanni Dos Santos <laughs> is that thumb. If Mossy was in charge, that thumb would be gone. You would be thumbless. You, would have, you wouldn't have opposing thumbs. You would only have one thumb opposing nothing. 
<laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you for that question, uh, Schroeder. Art, Jay Schroeder. Art, we, we moved in a different direction there, but thank you for leading us there. All right. What's up? That is it. Oh, wait. That's it. No, sorry. Uh, that was Sparko Darko that asked the LA Galaxy question. All right. Well, we'll see what they do uh, with the roster because they have to be in compliance here relatively soon, and we'll see if they're able to restructure it so they keep Giovanni Dos Santos so they find a buyer out there or do some trades uh, going forward. All right. Moving on. Hello, people. It's Alexi Lalas. You know, we appreciate you listening to the State of the Union podcast, but if you enjoy our show and you want to know more about the sports gambling world, well, you should take a minute to check out another show we do here on Fox Sports, the Coming Up Winners podcast hosted by Jason McIntyre. Coming Up Winners dives deep into analytical trends that could become major influences in sports gambling. Jason McIntyre and company tackle all the biggest games on the board and break down the NFL, NBA, college football, and college basketball. So subscribe now for weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday afternoon, available wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the show. The Back Three. Okay, it's time for our Back Three, where we look at some big stories, games, moments out there in the world of soccer. What do we got this week? All right, big theme in the Back Three this week is league races tightening in Europe. We'll start in Spain, where Real Madrid are flying. They won 3-1 away to Atletico Madrid uh, this weekend to leapfrog Atletico into second place. Meanwhile, Barcelona drew 0-0 away to Athletic Bilbao. The gap is now six points, and their next league meeting, March 2nd, is at the Bernabeu. So Real Madrid are starting to get ideas. Big talking point with Barcelona right now. Uh, Messi has sort of reached that point in his career where he has to conserve his energy, and there are games that you could tell he doesn't get out of second gear. And Barcelona, for all the money they've spent, when Messi is not at his absolute best, they look very ordinary, and that falls on Valverde, that falls on some of those players like Coutinho, who's been a big disappointment this season. But so there's some concern there that it's unbelievable with all the money they've spent everywhere else, how dependent they still are on Messi. Messi. And and Mossi, I was led to believe that this was Mass doing club. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I was led to believe that La Masia was this paradise that was able to produce on a continual basis incredible talent that was going to fuel this club for, for years and years. You're telling me that this club is reliant on Messi? Yeah, although as I say that, they did beat Real Madrid 5-1 earlier this season without Messi. So there have been exceptions, but generally speaking. Um, now, with Real Madrid, I'm fascinated to see how this Vinicius Jr. Gareth Bale uh, dynamic plays out because... If you've watched uh, the last two games, he didn't they look played happy on the bench. away to Barcelona and away to Atletico. Uh, Solari's dilemma was on full display. In both games, Vinicius played about 60 minutes. Gareth Bale played about 30. And there's no question Vinicius right now is the more explosive player, the guy who makes more plays, who creates more danger. Gareth Bale, because of the injuries, has kind of lost his pace. He has trouble beating uh, opposition players one-on-one. He doesn't create as much on his own. But the one weakness in Vinicius' game is Gareth Bale's greatest strength right now. Vinicius is not a good finisher. Mm-hmm. Gareth Bale is. He scored a beautiful goal against Atletico so he is the more likely of the two to score a goal when he's on the field so Solari has to kind of weigh that uh, and so it's be interesting to see moving forward how he uses those two players and and what their roles are Gareth Bale incidentally that was his 100th goal in all competitions for Real Madrid and that uh, caused people to sort of reflect on his career at Real Madrid it's such a fascinating dynamic because the fans and media have never really taken to him they're always criticizing him there's always a sense that he's been kind of a disappointment and yet you just look at it on paper and all the trophies he's won and the numbers he's put up and some of the moments he's had. I mean, exactly. a game-winning goal, exactly. a bicycle hit goal in the Champions League, but, you'd and, think and they'd it, be but like... But keep in mind the context of, of when he scored the, that goal. There was so much talk about this is it, it's the end, <laughs> he's been injured, he's not starting, he's not part of it, and then he comes in and provides, uh, provides those ultimate moments. How do you think that his career in Spain will ultimately be looked at? 
uh, as, and especially as it relates to other players coming uh, from, uh, well, coming from uh, Great Britain, I guess. I say. think it will be viewed unfairly, not as positively as it should. Uh, really, the only thing that's held him back is injuries. When when the guy plays, he okay, performs. So better like than it. Steve McManaman. No, for some reason, there's a greater fondness really? towards McManaman than Bale, even though on paper. Uh, yeah, I mean, Bale, I guess he's never learned Spanish yeah, that well. That's a huge and th- th- yeah, there, there's an element there that he's never really like kind of embraced li- living in Spain. And so that, that works against him. I don't think he's that popular in that dressing room. And so there's issues like that. But just in terms of, I mean, you look at the numbers, the goals per game average. And like I said, the moments are incredible. He scored the game winning goal in two different Champions League finals. He also scored this unbelievable game winning goal against Barcelona and a couple. Del Rey final back in his first season, which he dribbled the length of the field past Mark Bartra. And you'd think a player with moments like that and, and all the trophies he's won, they'd be like building David Beckham-like statues for him outside the Bernabeu. And <laughs> oh, instead, we're, we're going to talk about that instead, next week. Instead, he's constantly <laughs> criticized. So it, it was kind of... But but again, the, the Bale-Vinicius dynamic is going to be fascinating, including against Ajax this week and then moving forward in this stretch run here. So how Solari kind of manages that. Well, because, we, got, we got ourselves a race over yeah, there in La Liga, which is good. And we have ourselves a race other places, too. All right, so we'll, we'll move on to uh, Germany, which the gap is now five points between Dortmund and Bayern. Bayern able to shave two points off that lead this weekend because uh, Dortmund pulled off something that was absolutely incredible. They somehow squandered a 3-0 lead uh, at home in the 75th minute against Hoffenheim. We were both watching. We were texting each other. I mean, I mean, what were your thoughts about that? Uh, you know, I said it on our, uh, on our Bundesliga broadcast this week, and that a a title-winning team does not capitulate like that. A title-winning team does not collapse. And, and it's not that, once again, Borussia Dortmund can drop points. We, I think everybody has recognized that that is going to happen at different points. And it's, it's, not, that they, it's not that they drop points. It's how they drop points. That is absolutely ridiculous. And you go back in the locker room and you look around and you say, well, is this just one of those moments? Is this just an aberration, anomaly? Soccer gods said, ah, we're going to do something crazy here, and, and, and you put it out of your mind? Or is this something that is a huge flag that you say, hey, there's a problem. There is a problem in terms of how we defend. There's a problem in terms of um, our attitude when we go up uh, because – you know that if I am the rest of the league, and last week I thought that it was done. I thought that's it. Bayern messed up. They didn't capitalize on that opportunity, and then they come back here and they, they just they won't put their foot or their fist or whatever you want it on the throat of the rest of the league. And when I say the rest of the league is really putting the throat putting it on the throat of Bayern. They just they. They keep letting them have opportunities, and that's not a mark of a title-winning team. Yeah, Bayern, we should say this weekend, beat Schalke 3-1. But, yeah, Dortmund, they've had this mental fragility the last few years that's prevented them from competing with Bayern. And by signing Witzel and Delaney and bringing in a manager like Favre, they've improved immensely in that yeah. regard this season, which is why they're in first place. But it still rears its ugly head every now and then. And you saw it again this weekend. They have this bad quality, especially at home, where they allow games to take on this sort of track meet element where it's just back and forth. You know, they miss a chance and then you look up and the other team has like a three-on-three break the other way. And I'm sorry, when you're winning a game by two or three goals in the second half, you got to be able to like manage the situation better, settle the game down. And at no point were they able to do that in the second half. It was just end-to-end stuff. And they play Monday night, uh, a Monday night special, I think we have. Yes. And by the way, everybody should tune into that pregame show because it's going to be a <laughs> lot of fun. Um, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm hosting. That's what Mossy yes. is referring um, to. Yeah, and I'll just say this about that. Listen, in, in league, in 
in leagues, uh, everybody plays the same teams home and away. So there's right. no such thing as, oh, you had an easier schedule than us. But I think the timing of games can be very important. Sometimes you get the right ga- game at the right time, and that's happening for Dortmund nice this week. Nice to be able, to, nice to, be able to face Nuremberg. Nuremberg, right? I, I, mean, so. <laughs> I even think there was an element of that. We're going to get to the Premier League in a second with Liverpool. Now, Keith Kossack, and again, tried to push back against that. He's like, oh, Bournemouth just beat Chelsea 4-0. Bournemouth are a totally different team home or away. They had lost their last seven away from home heading into that Liverpool game. So that Liverpool were sputtering a little bit, a couple of draws. That was a nice fixture to have home against Bournemouth where they got to flex their muscles and feel good about themselves again. By the way, my second shot at Keith Kossigan in this spot. Wow. He, better not, wow. he better not be listening. Oh, boy. All right, um, what else? Uh, you, so, you mentioned. Let's okay, go. So that's a natural segue the there. So uh, we'll end on the Premier League. So City and Liverpool right now, uh, level on points, City ahead on goal difference. Although I do feel weird about saying a team's in first place when they're level on points and they've played one more game than the other team. So I don't really consider City to be in first place right now. But we'll be. So Liverpool has a game in hand. Correct. And we'll be all even on February 24th, which is an incredible day in England because City are busy facing Alex Dowd's Chelsea in the League Cup final, mm-hmm. while Liverpool that day are away to Manchester United. That's their league game. So once Liverpool have played that game, we'll be evened up in terms of games played again, and we'll see where we are in terms of the standings. Now, both teams won this weekend. Liverpool, uh, as I mentioned, beat Bournemouth 3-0. Manchester City absolutely oh, annihilated Chelsea 6-0. So obviously, you know, what, what can you say from a City perspective? They were brilliant. Aguero with another hat trick. But let's... Um, is, is he still coach as, as this uh, recording? Is, uh, let's, is let's, <laughs> let's talk about the other team in that game because uh, our producer, Alex, had very quiet on, on, on the, the text messaging this weekend. I didn't, didn't hear a lot from him. Uh, what were your thoughts watching that debacle? I enjoyed it. I wanted it to get into the... Because you know, three, three or four is where it's not respectable, but it happens. When you get into the fives and six, that's when everyone starts going, "Whoa, some, something's wrong." I enjoyed every single minute of it. I like Chelsea. I, 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 I enjoy watching Chelsea, but I enjoyed watching them get pummeled. And then I, I, I kept picturing what Christian Pulisic was thinking as he, as he watched it. But because don't worry, Christian's going to waltz in there and, and save uh, Chelsea. We talked about it uh, last week on, on the pod. There's, there's no leadership. I don't think that they have any respect for the current coaching staff. And I think that they've all checked out. That was, that, no, they're playing a very good team. But you're Chelsea. You got you to gotta make it somewhat competitive. It wasn't even competitive. It was, it was a joke. It was a joke. And if Chelsea is a joke in that type of situation, that is, that's where you fire the coach. That's goodbye. No, that's, that's no good because it's not, oh, you know, we just got a tactic wrong here or the ball bounced off someone's nose and stuff like that. No, you were beat from start to finish each and every time. And even when things weren't going well, you didn't adjust and you just let it come every single goal. And I looked out there and I said, this is, this is a team that has completely checked out. So I said last week that the next few games would make or break him. He's got an FA Cup uh, fifth round home game against Manchester United February 18th and then the League Cup final against City again February 24th. You wouldn't even let it get to that point. You've no. seen enough. Get him out now. No, get, get him out now. Now, are they planning and they just want to do it in the summer? Or they want to just give it to the end of the summer and do it? Or because then they have a better option out there? I don't know. I mean, they, are, uh, they are currently outside the top four. They do have that other path, which is the Europa League. And our producer, Alex Ad, is already pushing the let's uh, disregard the Premier League and put our eggs in the Europa League basket 
argument. Uh, what do you think of that? But, did, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't look at that and see it as this complete outlier of a game where just just nothing nothing worked and they just got fluke fluke goals. No, bam, 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 bam. And I think that's six bams right there. Alex, just give me a thumb. Did you go to that? There's a, a Chelsea pub that I know you go to watch games at. Oh, you didn't no. go. I would have loved to have uh, had a camera on the wall that day and seen what the mood was. Uh, let's, let me just end on this, my last comment, because uh, I've gotten a couple of Tottenham fans after me on Twitter because I keep saying I don't think Tottenham are in the title race. Mm-hmm. And there is a contradiction there because I'm making a big deal about Barcelona Real Madrid being six points and Dortmund Bayern being five points. Well, Tottenham are right now five points behind both City and Liverpool, and they've actually played one less game than City. So if they win that game in hand, they would only be two points behind them. So how could they not be in the title race while those teams are? All I can say is because we're talking about Real Madrid and Bayern Munich, and I'm sorry, but it feels a lot more plausible to me, those teams winning a league than Tottenham right now. To me, they've got two teams above them that are clearly better than them, and I just can't see it. So I'll continue to say it's just whiny, I don't— It's just whiny Spurs fan. Don't, yeah. don't, 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 I, don't, I will say, though, I will say that they've stabilized the top four situation because when Kane and Ali went down and they got knocked out of both those cup competitions, they were in a bit of turmoil there. All of a sudden, ooh, even top four might be in some jeopardy. But they've ripped off a few wins here. They've done a good job. So I don't think top four is under threat. They're, they're comfortable there. So they, they do deserve credit for that. Well, look, you know, sometimes we talk about the the, the parity and the manufactured parity in Major League Soccer. And, and there is still a have and have not element to all of these leagues. But the other thing that sometimes we, we lament is that there there isn't title races. And, and they, the league's decided... To, you know, halfway in or two third or two thirds into the season. That's not the case for for these three leagues, which makes it that much more compelling and interesting uh, for us. Whether we're televising it like the Bundesliga or whether we're watching it like the EPL and La Liga, it's fun to see and it's uh, it's fun to follow. Anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right, so we come to our uh, big thing from today's podcast. Uh, thank you once again for tuning in to the State of the Union podcast. You know, I uh, I am often and, and rightfully so and, and incredibly proud of the fact that I am associated with um, the 1994 World Cup team. And it changed my life. I lived the power of what a World Cup can, can do to an individual. And, and all of these opportunities came my way because of what happened in 94. And I was part of a group of players back there that we will always share this incredibly uh, unique experience. Uh, it was back in the 1900s. It, was, it seems like yesterday to me, and yet I know it, it wasn't. And as we get further and further, um, it, uh, it, it, I, I continue to reflect on the games that were played, the times that we had, the moment, and more importantly, uh, the people that I shared that experience with. Uh, this, uh, a, a few days ago, we lost a friend uh, and a teammate in Fernando Clavijo. It's, uh, you know, one of the, uh, not one, the first player from that generation, from that team to pass away. And certainly our, our thoughts and prayers and condolences uh, go to his family, his immediate family, and all of his extended family when it comes to uh, soccer. And this is, this is a guy who came to the United States, was an incredible indoor soccer player. And even at the time when I was a, a young buck with uh, the national team, Fernando Clavijo came in and uh, immediately established himself for his work ethic. Uh, he was much, he was much older than uh, than us, uh, and certainly by myself by more than a, more than a decade. And yet, his ability to work, his ability to be faster and quicker than players that were half his age, was really quite 
something uh, to behold. And it's why he was able to play and be a significant contributor on the field for that 1990, uh, 1994 team. He went on to coach. He went on to work in uh, front offices in, uh, in Major League Soccer and to be a player in the business of soccer out there and it was just such sad news to feel or to hear that uh, ultimately he uh, succumbed to uh, a cancer that he had been battling for the last five years or so and so I wanted to uh, to let him and his family and everybody know that we are thinking uh, about him and uh, as a part of that 1994 generation that uh, we are so uh, privileged and proud to have played a part, um, Fernando Cavillo was a huge, huge uh, part of that. And uh, he will be missed for his contributions on the field when it goes way back to not just uh, the U.S. men's national team, but also before that in terms of his contributions from indoor and outdoor. And then, uh, as I mentioned, the things that, that, he, uh, that he did. Uh, we are all obviously uh, getting older, and we will all look back at different times uh, at the different people and the different moments that meant things to us. And Fernando Clavijo was one of those people and the, the unique moment and that unique experience that we had in 1994 uh, and as it relates to him is something that, uh, that I will never forget. All right, thank you so much once again for tuning in to yet another episode of the State of the Union podcast. We will have another one uh, next week. As I mentioned, I might be talking about... Uh, Mr. Beckham, who knows? Uh, he could possibly come into the topics. Um, news breaking as we uh, leave this pod that the Los Angeles Galaxy are erecting a statue to David Beckham outside their uh, stadium. So maybe something uh, worthwhile in uh, terms of talking about. Hit us up on uh, all of the uh, social media platforms out there, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And you can find us on uh, iTunes and Stitcher and YouTube and Spotify and all the different platforms out there. And thank you so much. Make sure you subscribe and make sure you send us those uh, comments and questions with that Ask Alexi hashtag and Mossy might read one of those uh, in the future. All right. Until next time, size the day.